Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Amazing Race Rewind podcast, the podcast where we rewind back in time to watch the earliest episodes of the Amazing Race for the first time. My name is Andrew. And I'm Jill. And we're here to talk about season one, episode 11, which is another two-part episode. We got two two separate episodes in one here. We really do. It's kind of, I'd say that's the downside to two teams so far apart, is you feel like you're watching the same thing twice. So by yeah. the time you get to the second group of teams going, it's just kind of like, oh, we've really? done, we've seen this before. We know it's coming. Yeah. But th- this was like the first one is like the warm up. It was like the get the track warm, get us familiar with the course, if you will. And then <laughs> the second round was like the real deal. That one had stakes. I think, too, we're also at a point in the season where we know the teams pretty well. So I think we can yeah. predict their performances based on when, when what the task is when we see it. Right. And this, speaking of like tasks, I think it did feel more like a modern leg where it was more contained to Beijing and the tasks weren't just travel to Notre Dame and climb up the stairs. It was go to this place and then play ping pong or do shopping at a market and then eat food. It wasn't, you know, it was it was a little bit more they had to do things. I, and I liked that. And I, yeah. I didn't actually think of that. But when now that you're saying it, I totally see your point. I think I had mentioned that too, like a couple episodes ago, how the tradition or the modern race is so much more contained. But you're right. totally right. That's how it felt. And it was it was much more enjoyable, honestly, especially coming off last week's episode. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I think this was the debut of the currently in first place or the currently. I in did notice place. that. I saw it only. It only took them 10 epi- 11 episodes and they had to get down to four teams before they could tell us. <laughs> yeah, before before they could feel confident in putting currently uh, in Robin Brennan in second place. Yeah. We have a 50-50 shot here, so <laughs> might um, as well try. They were able to keep it up. But yeah, this was much better than last episode, which is not a very high bar to clear. I don't know. I think also in this season so far, episodes have been difficult, quote unquote difficult, when plane travel is involved. And it's not the difficulty we're used to like the difficulty we saw in this episode for example with the ping pong challenge or the food challenge those are kind of what the traditional difficulty levels would be where the stakes would be raised right. now in modern episodes but in in this season it's been if there's plane travel there's going to be trouble and that wasn't the case here and it was honestly probably one of the best episodes in terms of tasks yeah although the the teams being split up was not great yeah, yeah. tasks i agree with you there was it was like a pretty good designed leg in that sense but i feel like the tasks themselves could have been still a little bit better but i guess for season one standards it's it's quite good but they're getting there they're figuring it out yeah a very exciting second half of the episode with i think closest and most dramatic finish of the season kind of the first time where two teams have been racing at the end and you genuinely have no idea how it's gonna play out and you kind of not you're not in disbelief but it's two teams who are very strong so you don't it's not this inkling of oh well you know there's two teams but one is obviously better than the other no you had no clue yeah and they're legitimately neck and neck here like they leave the roadblock at pretty much the exact same time time. yeah yeah and head to the pit stop and then from there yeah let's get into it then yes so at the start of the episode uh robin brennan begin at 603 a.m which they mention is a good starting time because they don't have to worry about hours of operation because they're starting so early in the day that by the time they get to things, like it will be open. And I'll yeah. say too, it's different when you start at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. because then, although it's early, the other teams are within that kind of 
that 3 a.m. to say 8 a.m. range. So all the teams are starting before task opens. But 6 a.m. is a good time because you as a team in the league can get to a location and it'll open and the other teams will just be starting. So it's not like you and all these other teams are waiting around together for something to open. Yeah, you're able to maintain your lead with that. Exactly. And yeah, Frank and Margarita uh, starting at 6.15, which is 12 minutes behind. So they made up a lot of ground last episode because they started, I think, about an hour behind Robin Brennan last week. Yeah, they did well. So yes, they are instructed to go to the top pavilion at Jingshan Park in Beijing, China. And immediately, yeah, they know they have to go to Phuket in Thailand to go to Bangkok. And then they'll have a layover in Bangkok. And then from there, they'll travel to Beijing. Yeah, I apologize. I think earlier in this episode, I said there was no plane travel. There is, but it's done in the more modern sense where it's not the focus of the whole episode. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not a determining factor in anything because exactly teams are all, I guess, the, well, the first two teams are on one flight and then the back two teams are on their own flight as well. Yeah. On the same flight. And something that in- interesting that happens during the layover in Bangkok where Frank and Margarita decide to get rid of a considerable amount of their luggage. They buy bags and I don't know if they're shipping this new, this uh, like their old luggage home, but they just kind of empty out their bags to help get some weight off their backs, literally. Yeah. And they just kind of dump this excess stuff there. I'd assume to be shipped home. Well, how would they be able to organize that, though, at that time? Would they just sell the producer's case in this home for us? I don't think they would. I have, I have absolutely no clue. Yeah, I don't know how, how that exactly works. But I was shocked when the camera sh- like panned over and showed how much luggage they left behind. I was like, how, how are they carrying all of that? Because that is an insane amount of luggage. No, I know. Back at the start of the season, I wanted to do an analysis and a kind of a breakdown of what they're allowed to bring in their backpacks, how big they're mm-hmm. allowed to be, how heavy, you know, they're, they are and all that. And we never got to that. So maybe that's something I'll do for the bonus episode. The, the postseason analysis. Yeah, the postseason recap. Yes. So yes, uh, Frank and Margarita and then Rob and Brennan arrive in Beijing. And this is where we see the currently in first place in the lower third of the screen. And I was thrilled. <laughs> it was a big oh. moment for us, for both <laughs> of us. It was. Like, we can finally know where teams are and what's going on. I know. I've gotten pretty good at cataloging by memory at this point because I've, you know, I've had to adapt to this. <laughs> yeah. but it's nice to have it back. Yeah. We don't have to work as hard. I know. Do as much mental gymnastics. But so <laughs> they go to the pavilion and then in their clue, it's the detour, which is volley or rally. So volley is where you have to play a local champion in ping pong until you score five points. And then rally is where you have to take three different forms of public transportation, which are a bus, a motorcycle, and a pedicab. So, Jill, what were your thoughts on on these detour options? There is a guarantee with the transit one that you'll be able to do it in kind of the predicted amount of time. I can play ping pong, not very well at all. Yeah. Do I think I'd be able to get five points? Maybe, but quickly in comparison to doing just going on a straightforward task, I don't know. So I really wasn't sure. I wanted to see what you thought about this one. Yeah. So my first instinct was the ping pong challenge, because like Brennan said, the thing is, even which the the champion, by the way, is, is a child that they're playing against for ping pong. But even if it was like an adult professional ping pong player, you would be there maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes max, because the thing is, all you have to do is wait for them to make at least five mistakes. It's not like you have to get five points before they reach 20 points or something or like you have to it's a race to five points because the score could be like 100 to five and then you could still get out of there 
So I don't think who was saying this, Rob. Uh, Brennan. Brennan. Said okay, because I was gonna say Rob was or was it no Brennan? Brennan was the one who was atrocious yeah. at ping pong. By the way, we'll get to that, but he was atrocious. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's the thing with that. Where I think the idea of the challenge is good, but I don't think like execution wise, it was that great. I think they could have made it like you have a time limit, like you have maybe fifteen minutes or so to like get five points or 10 minutes to get five points, otherwise you have to restart. But both Robin Brennan and Frank and Margarita choose this uh, ping pong challenge. Frank and Margarita are out of there pretty quick. They do pretty well. Yeah, this kid seems to really pick up his game for Robin Brennan, because Frank, he, he does not seem to be playing very well against Frank in comparison to, to how he plays against Robin Brennan. Did you notice that? Or, or maybe Frank's just that good at ping pong. He didn't look that good to me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the kid was still warming up. I guess so. But I was also thinking, what would happen if both teams were there at once? Like, would they have another ping pong champion to bring out or what? I think it would just be first come, first serve. That's kind of how most of the tasks have been this season. Yeah, you just have to wait for the, the team before you to finish. Yeah, I don't really like that, though, because that doesn't allow for teams to be able to pass one another. But that's how it was with the, um the was it the roadblock in Italy with the planes? Oh, yeah, that's true. It was first come, first serve because the plane could only be flying one team at yeah. a time. See, but that one wasn't skill-based, though. This one's more skill-based. That's true. If Robin Brennan were before Frank and Margarita, Frank and Margarita would have to wait much longer than if they were, like, two games going on simultaneously, you know? I think that's something, though, that was fixed with more seasons to come. You know, if there was a task like this they just had, they would have five players available for the teams. Yeah. But then I guess that you could argue that that's unbalanced because all the players might not be of the same skill level that they got. So Yeah, that's true. And how, yeah, how long? What if this kid's going for like hours and then gets tired and doesn't want to do it anymore? Bring out another ping pong champion. <laughs> Bring in someone else. Yeah. So yeah, interesting challenge overall. And then I don't like this public transportation challenge. It's like really we're in China, and you're, the best you can come up with is take public transportation for a task. That came in what we're now dubbing as part two of the episode. The two teams <laughs> yeah. in the back of the pack, though. So we'll come back to that later. Okay. But yeah. I do. It seemed a little bit ridiculous, but so after the detour, we go to the, this is the inception of the shopping in a foreign market task, which is a, a staple of the Amazing Race. Every season, that's every season. Yeah. So yeah, so the task is they have to go to a local market and shop for local delicacies. They have to get five beetle larvae, one squid and two chicken feet. I will say though, the instructions on their card the number of pieces is in English, so it says five pieces, two pieces, yeah. whatever. But the actual item is in um, probably Mandarin, I would guess, either Mandarin or Cantonese. Yeah. So they can't read it. So they have to have one of the locals who speaks Mandarin or or Cantonese, but probably, Man- yeah. One of the locals help them read the, the list and retrieve the items. Yeah, which I like because I think it's a good way for to get the contestants to interact with the locals. Yes. But also, it, this challenge just becomes then the locals doing the challenge while the team just follows around this one Chinese person, you know, around the market. Yes and no. Yes and no. I think because then, you know, the team in first could have a really slow um, helper or the person who's helping them just might not know what they're doing. Whereas all of a sudden, maybe if this team who's in last comes in, like this is just speaking generally, not specific to this market, but if, you know, if all the teams are there at once and the team who was in last as someone who's really, you know, really good, knows where they're going, knows exactly what they need. They could it could shift things around entirely. So yes, it's not skill based, but I think there is an element of that amazing race luck and fortune. Yes, yeah, I agree. But the thing is, 
it's not really the contestants that are doing the task. It's more of the local. No, that's fair. That's fair. So and then once they finish this, which again, there was no issues, they go to the roadblock, which is entitled Who's Hungry? I'm telling you right now, if this was us, it would have to be you because I, I don't I I think I would throw up. Yeah. I have a very weak stomach when it comes to specifically meat that I'm not used to eating. Right. I can it's eat protein, any kind yeah. of vegetable, but any kind of meat that is not basic, quote unquote, I just think I would throw up. Yeah, I think yeah, I would do it. But this is an eating challenge where they have to get their ingredients that they gathered cooked and then they have to eat it, which it doesn't seem that bad because it's being cooked. Whereas we've seen much more grotesque eating challenges later where people have to eat like live raw insects. Yeah, but it's the mentality of it. You know, it's knowing for me, I would not be able to get out of my head what it is I'm eating and overactive imagination kicks in. And then I start freaking myself out. And then, oh. no, I'm not eating it. That's where I would be at. See, I feel like if it's cooked, then it's fine. Well, there's know? a reason you would be the one doing this task. Okay. <laughs> I will say, though, um, between Frank and Margarita, Margarita is the one who decides to do it. And I like her mentality of like, because she starts off by saying, you know, up until this point in the race, money has not been the motivation here. Obviously, it is. Well, it has been a little bit, but it hasn't been the key motivation in their mind. It's been about winning. But she just described it as like every bug that she had to eat or like every piece of the chicken feet was just a piece of their daughter's college tuition that they were getting, Yes, which I thought was a great way to motivate yourself. Yeah. And it reinstates what they were here for because they're here for their daughter, really. Exactly. And also there's a little squabble here between Frank and Margarita, which I don't really know what this was about because they were kind of arguing who was going to do the Roblox and Margarita says she's going to do it. And then they find out that they have to eat the things. And then Margarita's, like, kind of upset about it. And then Frank's like, you're a moron. Um, well, that's what I recollected from this, but... Yeah, no, I, I did he say you're a moron? Were those the exact words? I have it written down. She said she was stupid and that she's a moron. <laughs> wow, oh, I thought that was just you adding some. <laughs> no, 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 me adding my own flair to make it more dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> that's not unheard of, but he does then apologize. But it, it didn't seem like a very sincere apology. He was kind of laughing his way through it, but it was an apology. I think they're also just in, they're in the race, they're in the moment, they gotta go. And there's, there's a moment here where Brennan is eating the food and then Rob is like asking him about it. He's like, what does it taste like? He's like, is it like curry? It was when he was eating the chicken foot and then Brennan goes, no, it's just, and he thinks for a second, it's just feet. Okay. (laughs) There's such deep and profound lines on this show. I know, right? I'm giving a shout out to um, the line, those elephants probably smell like elephants. Yeah. Well, we had some deep and profound quotes at the end of the episode here as well. Oh, we definitely do, but we'll <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there anything else for the roadblock? Overall, I think it was a good challenge, like an eating challenge. Yeah. I And I mean, these are, again, these are kind of a staple of The Amazing Race that show up every season in some form. So it's nice to see the familiar tasks popping up now. Yeah, exactly. And actually, in an interview I was reading from after the season, um, one of the interviewers asked Kevin, no, Drew, who was doing this, what it tasted like. And he said it it just tasted like a bunch of oil, because I guess that's what they cooked it in. Interesting. Yeah, that's it for the roadblock. So we move on to the pit stop, which is the south gate of Tian Tan, the Temple of Heaven Park. And at this point, did Frank and Margarita and Rob Brennan, did they leave the roadblock at pretty much the same time? Do you know? I can't remember. Frank and Margarita, correct me if I'm wrong, because they finished this leg first, right? They did, yeah. So they, I think they left just slightly before. I don't think they were racing each other in neck and neck. I think they were slightly ahead. Yeah, it was pretty close, though. Yeah. So yes, uh, Frank and Margarita were in first, and then Rob and Brennan not far behind them in second place. And they're served tea at the pit stop, which I thought you you would appreciate. 
I did appreciate that. Yeah. I thought that was really, really nice. Yeah, as a known tea lover. Yes. And then here we go. 25 minutes into the episode, and we're setting up the part two. And Joe and Bill. Part two. Here we go. This is where it's getting interesting. It indeed is. And I like, I will say, how kind of at this halfway mark and just a little bit over the halfway mark, you have now um Robin Brennan and Frank and Margarita who finished the leg giving a commentary on the other teams, yes. but not in the, the traditional sense of, oh, you know, we're going to beat them by this. They've done this. They've done that. They're just kind of giving a very objective commentary, which is almost kind of sports caster like. Yeah, they're just like the third party kind of commentating on their outsiders yeah. on, on the race between these two teams. It is yeah, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. But I guess that's what you get when you have such a large gap between the four teams. Yeah. Okay. So now that we're done with the opening act, Kevin and Drew and Joe and Bill are on the same flight. Out of Bangkok. Yes, out of Bangkok, which sets us up here for a close race. So both teams choose the rally detour. Which I also, because up to this point in the race, I feel like there's always been one detour option that's been more popular than the other. Yeah. And this is split down the middle, not not even just between the four teams randomly, but the first two teams in Act 1, Act 1, Part <laughs> 1, did, you said it first. Did I, part, I said opening act. Yeah, that's why I said act okay. one. Okay, fine. The two teams in part one yeah. both chose the rally, and now the other two teams are choosing no volley or volley. rally. Yeah, yeah, it's confusing. Volley and rally. Sorry, I watched a volleyball game this two volleyball games this weekend, so my yeah. brain is trying to remember volleyball terms. Okay, so what were you saying? I don't know what the point was. The, oh no, I do remember. <laughs> the point was um, that. Both teams in part one chose one task, and then both teams in part two chose the other task. I thought that was kind of interesting. There has not really been a detour up to this point where the options have been split evenly, but here they were equally as popular. Yeah. So with this transportation task, like I said before, which I think is ridiculous, when you're in Beijing, China, which is a place that's so culturally rich, the best you can come up with is take forms of public transportation. I'd expect that in New York or Toronto or Honestly, even London, like ride the tube. I don't. I, yeah, I agree with you. I wouldn't expect it in Beijing, China. Yeah, Beijing, China. That's the first thing you think of is, oh, they have great public transportation, don't they? <laughs> World class. And there's this extremely long winded scene when they're both on the, the rickshaws, where they're both just like yelling at their drivers to go faster. <laughs> I, this scene cracked me up because it's the most anticlimactic. I know. Not even anticlimactic. That's what I'm looking for. It's the most like ridiculous, low stakes, low speed chase scene. Yeah. Because the cameras are very intensely capturing this, but neither of their drivers are going very fast. But they're still so intense about it. It was hilarious. They're just screaming at their drivers, and it's this scene just seems to go on forever, and just to have no payoff because they find out that the market doesn't even open to the next morning anyway, so it doesn't matter how fast they get there. <laughs> It was quite the scene. So yes, they stay the night, I guess, and then wake up the next morning and do the market task. And they take their locals that they found and follow them around the market to gather their food. Very standard. Very Again, this is basically, you know, part one lays out the track. Part two, you see it run a little bit smoother, a little bit quicker. (laughs) So at the roadblock, Kevin and Drew and Joe and Bill are literally neck and neck. And their food comes out at the exact same time. It is intense. And they just devour their food. Yeah, they're just going at it. And also, too, because we have to remember, now that everyone knows there's no more non-elimination rounds left. So people are fighting for their lives here to stay in. Yeah, they are. And I think at the beginning of the episode, too, Kevin and Drew said that this is the most important 
leg because it's the last one before the finale. And if you're out, then obviously you're not going to win. Yep. So yes, Kevin finishes his food before whoever's doing it from Joe and Bill. But not far behind are Joe and Bill who finish. Like uh, maybe a minute after, two minutes. Yeah. And then here we have the race to the pit stop, which is very intense and suspenseful. This is genuinely, I know I've probably said this before about one or two episodes, but well, okay. The one where it was the Guidos and Nancy and Emily was a different kind of anxiety because they weren't racing to get there. You knew that one team was already there, but you didn't know who was going to be eliminated because there were a lot of technical things in play behind the scenes. It was a slow burn. This was, this was just a traditional race. It was intense. Yeah, good old-fashioned race to the mat. Mm-hmm. And both teams can't really communicate with their cab drivers because they're, like, so intense and they're just yelling at them. And they seem to be, like, flustering their cab drivers quite a lot. The adrenaline is just kicked in for them. Yeah, because I can't imagine these poor drivers who are just doing their job and then these Americans come in and just start screaming at them and filling the <laughs> car with anxiety and negative energy. <laughs> and camera equipment. And camera equipment, yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, I like the very different approaches because... They're at this, what is, it's a temple, right? Is where the pit stop is? Yes. Yes. And so there's, you know, they have to enter in through, I think, the south gate, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So they get to this temple. And here's where you see two very different approaches. Kevin and Drew leave their bags in the car, drop everything and just run in. And they're just going to try and run and find it. Whereas Bill and Joe, the Guidos, decide to, I don't know if they're reading from a book or something, but they try and manage to formulate the words Southgate in yeah. probably Mandarin. So there's two very different approaches um, to the same scenario. I thought that was funny. That was quite impressive the way they did that with the translation. Because did they have a book with translations or how were they able to? I'd assume they would. Like I assume that, you know, in the airport, they would probably pick up the little like get around the city language manuals. Yeah. And I think what also happened was... Kevin and Drew's cab, they got stuck behind a bus or whatever, and then the team Guido was able to pass them. And then from there, there was like, the only way we can make it is to get out of the car and then just run and hope for the best, even though they have no idea where they're going. So should we say who it is that came last? Because that will determine our, our final three teams. For yeah. and We should say the next, next two episodes are part one and part two of the final leg of the race. Yes, yeah. And I will say this is the showdown of what I would say probably the two biggest teams of the season character-wise. Absolutely, absolutely. These have been kind of the main characters. It's all coming down to this. But ultimately, Joe and Bill are in third. So our final leg will be Robin Brennan, Frank and Margarita, and the Guidos, Bill and Joe. And unfortunately, we have to say goodbye to Kevin and Drew. Unfortunately, which fun fact, the three teams in the final leg are the teams that finished first, second and third in leg one. Yeah, I I think that's a rare. I don't want to say that's a rare thing. I don't know how much that's happened since, though, because I feel like the first leg can either be a really good indicator of where the race is going to go or it's just a very poor indicator and just as kind of a by chance um, standings. I mean, Kevin and Drew, they were in ninth on the first leg, like nine out of 11 teams. So they they really picked it up after that. They did. So yeah, there's a lot of variability there, I, I guess. So I feel like it is rare, but I think that's a little interesting tidbit. And I like, this cracked me up. It was the Guidos, they mentioned some sort of Winston Churchill quote about like World War II and like the dark days of World War II, which, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, great inspirational quote, but a bit of a stretch yeah. for American reality TV. Yeah, I think it's Bill. who He's very impassioned. And he quotes Winston Churchill here with, with with tears in his eyes. And he says, never give up. 
fight until the end. Fight till you die. Just go on. We'll die trying. It's like, I had to laugh. It's so dramatic and ridiculous. And it's the way that he phrases, though. He's like, we'd been thinking to ourselves about what Winston Churchill said. (laughs) (laughs) And then the poor person just standing there at the pit stop being like, seriously? Yeah, that that was a, a comedy moment. But I mean, I am sad to say goodbye to Kevin and Drew. Yes. And actually, I, I can tell you this now, all the way back in episode one, I had, this is a, a long story, I'll keep it short. Yeah. I forget, but there was a quote, oh, it was the, these flies are like lobsters or whatever. Okay, yeah. And my mom had texted me about that and she found it really funny and I was going to try and find a clip for her. So I was on YouTube and searching, you know, Amazing Race season one, Kevin and Drew, flies are like lobsters by the way could not find anything um so my mom probably still has not seen that clip but one of the videos that popped up was an interview i want to say one of the big talk shows at the time like what's her name rosie um oh rosie o'donnell yeah i think it was with her or someone and it was an interview with kevin and drew and i after i saw that i just closed the page really quickly because i thought and that's been this has been my thought process up till now is were they eliminated and that's and she was interviewing them because they're from new york were all the teams who were eliminated getting interviewed or did they win? So I didn't say anything because I didn't want to spoil it for you or risk anything. So this was back in episode one. This is back in episode one. I accidentally came across that. So I've been keeping my mouth shut since, but I, I'm actually kind of glad to find out that I feel like because that would be really anticlimactic for me if they had one. I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I kind of had an inkling since episode one. So Right. But I think back in, in the day where reality TV was so huge, it was just kind of this huge phenomenon i think all the teams were interviewed on these like early morning shows or whatever the, the day well, that's it because i i knew um the amazing race i think i don't know if they still know because i don't think the show's still on but i think marilyn dennis used to interview the teams after they were eliminated correct me if i'm wrong what do you do this this recently this like when amazing race canada started oh um, i don't even she know would that. interview the teams i think i don't know if that's still if they still do the interviews with the teams after their elimination because they do the big group interview at the end Right. Yeah, I don't think it's that. No. Like they're not that's not going to be a guest that you're going to have on your show is an amazing race contestant nowadays whereas in season 1 it was much more of a a phenomenon back then. But, yeah. And what you were saying with like are they interviewing just because they're in New York? When I was um looking up all these other interviews that they were doing at the time. That was very much a huge thing. There was like, oh, these are the hometown boys from New York because all like the major broadcasting people were from New York. So there was very much like a people were really invested in them from being from New York. Okay. So it was part of their character, part of their quote unquote charm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And also when Kevin and Drew get eliminated, Kevin gives his try of quoting something as well. He talks about a book that he was reading about the teachings of Buddha. And it says, when you speak, just speak. When you feel, just feel. When you see, just see. When you hear, just hear. And when you know, just know. And then he says, they and knew. walk away here knowing that we did our best and it didn't work out. So they have a really positive ending too. You know, they, they just seem like they're really happy with themselves. They're just going to, you know, go grab their bags and go home. And they're just happy with what they've done. They, yeah, they were really great characters for the season. And I think they, they would have been characters. They were. Yes, they were literally caricatures. And then as they're walking away, there's this, it's a, they're walking away. It's the scene. After they're eliminated, I think it's quite indicative of their characters where Kevin has his arm around Drew and then like pulls it away and then like motions to whacking him. I think it's that's quite Yeah, uh, just good little bit of camaraderie. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's it for this episode. But while I was 
going around doing my little research about Kevin and Drew, I stumbled across what was called the Kevin and Drew um, YouTube channel, which has 59 subscribers. <laughs> and the most shocking thing that I was absolutely stunned when I found this since we've started the podcast. On their YouTube channel, they had interviews and a bunch of stuff that I watched, which was kind of interesting um, from back in the day. But the main attraction, the supermodel. Sorry, is the account ran by them or is it a fan account? I believe it's ran by them, as I'm led to believe. Okay. But the main attraction of this all, the supermodel, if you will, it was called Kevin and Drew Unleashed, which is... A reality show. They got their own reality TV show after the season on the Discovery Channel, and it was canceled after three episodes. <laughs> so I didn't watch it, but I think I will be tuning in to that because they have they have all three episodes uploaded oh on. Oh my god! Um, so I think I think I'll be watching that for our season overview podcast. Oh, I will definitely be watching that for our season overview podcast. I mean, I don't know how good it's going to be. That sounds like a hoot and a half, if you will. So I thought that was very interesting that they got their own TV show after this. They they were such huge characters that they were able to get their own TV show. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to watch the first episode and tell me if it's any good. <laughs> right. And then if it is, I will be watching that. Yeah, I'll see if it's if it's worth it or not. So go watch that, I guess. Or maybe don't. Maybe wait. Maybe we'll tell you next week if it's worth a watch. It or we'll bad. tell you next season. I mean, maybe it got canceled after three episodes for a reason. But, I mean, it made it to three episodes. It got greenlit. Yeah, but most shows make it to a season before they're canceled. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because usually what happens is you do the pilot. I mean, maybe reality TV is different, but you do the pilot. And if the pilot gets picked up, you'll usually get contracted for, you know, a season. Like, I'd say at least eight episodes. Like, you'll say, we'll do these eight episodes. But it's usually, like, you know, reality would probably be closer to, like, maybe 15 sitcoms. It's 20 to 24 right so i don't know well maybe maybe that'll be another bit of research for us to do for the bonus episode along with the podcast we were sent which we still not listen to but we will yeah and also on their their youtube channel they have their audition tape on there that they sent in originally from 2001 which was very i could not get through it It was like the quality was extremely low obviously they're like have their little they're just like sitting in a kitchen it's the most casual thing ever. It's eight minutes long, which seems quite long for an audition tape. I could not get through it. But they have some cool stuff on there, like interviews. And I think it's a real time capsule of what it was like post their elimination. And they had all their interviews. It was kind of cool. Well, we will be checking that out. Uh, If you have more (laughs) social media internet gems to send us, you can contact us at Amazing Race Rewind on Instagram. Follow us even if you just want to see little funny clips from the episodes. If you don't really want to watch the whole thing but catch the highlights or if you want to send us a formal mode of communication you can email us amazingracerewind at gmail.com we will be happy to hear from you exactly yeah we want to know all the lore from amazing race season one we're trying to have a whole backlog of information here we're going to be the historians (laughs) we could teach a university course in this yep that'll be us amazing race maybe that's the goal can you imagine one day anyway thank you so much for listening yeah, we will see you all next week with part one of the finale, where they seem to yeah. be on the Great Wall of China. An epic end. Epic end. Well, part one of the epic end. Part one. But yeah, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.